Hello, everyone. My name is Christopher. I use he, him, and Zizem pronouns. And I'm Lisa. I use they slash them. And I'm Lily. I use any pronouns. And welcome to our latest episode of Speak Out, which will be all about intersectionality. Quick round of applause for our newest member of the podcast, Lily. Thank you so much. Yay. Clap, 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 clap. Um, and our, uh, although people on YouTube will not be able to see, three other people who are also here, uh, who are from Outright. Thank you for joining us. But yeah, today uh, it's Black History Month. It's also Marfan Awareness Month, which is particularly important to me as someone with Marfan. So we decided today we're going to be talking about intersectionality. Um, I did have the definition officially of intersectionality on my notes, but then I realized I forgot to pull them up. So a summary, uh, intersectionality was coined by the academic Kimberly Crenshaw, who, fun fact, works at UCLA in the law school um, to basically talk about how no single identity within a person can function separately from their other identities. So race and gender are inherently intertwined, disability, class, etc. And it's a way we can talk about compounded oppression, compounded privilege and oppression, and more, give a more nuanced take on how uh, we navigate society. So we're going to be talking about our own experiences with intersectionality uh, along any of those lines, um, how the queer community can improve, some positive in instances of intersectionality that we've seen, um, and hopefully get a lot of perspective. So, Judah, you are particularly passionate about this topic. So yeah. if you'd like to go first. Um, so, yeah, my intersectionality and my love of love. Um, I mostly I identify as Chicano. That is. I am, I am Mexican. That is, you know, the the um, the Latino that I am under. Um, like, you know how you have to check a box? Like, are you Hispanic or Latino descent? Which one are you? Like, Mexican, Cuban, Puerto Rican. I, I check Mexican. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't really have any other identities I think that come back. Well, I guess I am non-binary. I, I guess I'm gay yeah. and trans. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sometimes I forget, like, sometimes, like, I've been so used to it now that sometimes, like, I, I forget that that's, like, a thing. Yeah. You know? It's, like, a weird, not so, normal thing. Yeah, you've been so, like, you're so used to it that you just kind of, like, oh, shit. I forgot, huh? Um, yeah, I am actually particularly interested in this topic because I do think that a lot of people miss the plot when it comes to intersectionality. Um, I think a lot of people kind of use it as a buzzword. And I don't mean that in, like, the boomer conservative sense. I mean that, like, people will use intersectionality to justify really shitty, so crappy, sorry, I don't know if you're going to be censored. It, it's okay, we can sh we can swear. We're adults. <laughs> um, really, like, shitty behavior. Um, you know, like, I I do think a lot of people use their queerness to not do the work for, like, to not confront racism and ableism um, in the community. Like, I do think a lot of people hide behind their queerness. I can't um, be racist if I'm non-binary. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've lived with queer white roommates in the past, and it's a psychologically, like, jarring experience. Um, because before that, I was living pretty much alone because of the pandemic. Um, I was with no one. Well, I was with somebody, but we kind of, like, lived, we kind of lived, like, separate lives. We weren't really, like, running into each other. Because um, we lived in an apartment, it was two two bedroom. It was like not such a huge deal. Then I moved into a apartment with three other white roommates, white queer roommates. Um, and it is so 
it is a psychologically like jarring experience mm. um because you can tell that they didn't do the work <laughs> like they're like oh yeah i'm not racist but then proceed to do racist things the hashtag blm in bio but does a microaggression right i've been so like i would set like a basic boundary and i was seen as the aggressor because i'm brown mm. wow yeah like i would be like hey like we need to like like we had like a strict policy about because of covid and i was like i told my roommate this time, i was like hey you know just let me know when your partner is staying over just like make sure you let me know so that way we can you know keep track i was called homophobic oh my goodness. judah judah i need you to leave how dare you no, I, how dare I was you? called homophobic for setting that basic boundary and i was like i wow. i was like this is so like I don't I care have, about your boyfriend. I care yeah, about your boyfriend's like, COVID, okay? I, I don't necessarily care. I care about the fact that, one, like, one, it was entitlement to my space. We oh, because you shared rooms, yeah, right? Yeah, shared rooms. And I was like, that was my space, too. I'm entitled to living in that space, mm-hmm. you know, without having to feel awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, colonizing your space. Exactly. <laughs> so and I was like, I just, like, I just asked for a heads up. Right. Like that wasn't like, a. <laughs> please tell me. Yeah. Like I wasn't like, oh, no, your, you know, your partner can't come over. I was just like, hey, let me know. Let me know. Because like there are some like that that year I was swamped. I was swamped with work and classes. And I was like, hey, let me know. So that way I can be prepared. You know, I can move my stuff. I can go to the library or something, whatever. It was like, but I was seen as the aggressor. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I was like seen as the aggressor. I've been tone police. There was one time we were watching Suicide Squad. I was watching it with two of my roommates and uh, one of our mutual friends. And we were watching Suicide Squad, the James Gunn remake. Um, and that movie, like, essentially, like, they're, they're killing everyone, every person of color on screen, right? Oof. Like, it, it's, set, it's set in, like, a Cuba-esque island. Uh-huh. I think it's, it's the... generally yellow toned yeah and i was like and i i mentioned i was like hey you know like that movie was really uncomfortable like it gives off very like genocidal vibes and i was told i was told that i was overreacting that it it was just a movie that it didn't have like it was just a silly it was a silly like super villain movie like it, it didn't have it shouldn't be like like it wasn't that serious no, that's not the vibe <laughs> like in that. the end too it's a fucking movie and i'm allowed yeah. to have an opinion on it like you don't james gunn does not need your defense yeah james gunn doesn't first of all james gunn doesn't need your defense and also i was like there is a long legacy of movies that depict brown and black people as the other um there's a movie there's a really famous movie in texas that was modeled after birth of a nation Mm. called the birth of texas and it was about the mexican-american war guess guess who was the aggressor guess who was you know guess guess who you know the white people had a fight against um and then you know i had my ex-roommate I was having pre- previous problems with, he, he was like, he tried to compare it to the barrier gauge trope. And I'm like, they're not the same. Like, seeing 
mass people die that look exactly like you is not the same as bury your gaze. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like at least with bury your gaze, it's a little bit more respect. Like um, they die, but it's not like they're brutally murdered. Right, they're not like, like it's usually they're like a part of the plot right. in some way, meaningfully. Uh, and it's just like, and I'm like, it's how you know you haven't done the actual work to like. And when we say work, it means, like, literally just fucking think about it, like, for a second and unpack yeah. maybe this or, like, it's like, uh, you know, this isn't really a fair comparison, but the way from my perspective that I think about it is, like, when people misgender you by accident, yeah. instead of immediately becoming defensive, think, okay, I made a mistake. Now I need to practice or I need to do research or I need to literally unlearn, okay, when I accidentally do that, this is what I should do instead. Like, nobody's asking white people to be perfect although i wish we were a little closer to it as a community I, um but I it's mean, like it's i don't expect perfection yeah i do remember it during that moment being super like riled up yeah. right because mm-hmm. you watch this movie and you're seeing brown people being murdered in mass and it's like a comedy too yeah it's a comedy it's played for jokes More it's like than... oh ha ha and i'm like this is such a i'm like this is such an uncomfortable space to be in like at this moment i was like i would not trust you like i i would not trust you like at all like and i had you know i had one of i had another roommate who kind of like validated my feelings which is really nice and and we're really good friends now um but like you know they validated my feelings you know like yeah i I felt like kind of the same way it was kind of like a gross movie um but all that to say that like intersectionality i think was meant to be more of an a, a way to discuss identity and not so much a defense mm-hmm. for your oh, I, oh i'm identity. queer i can do this yeah um like a lot i just think a lot of people hide behind their queerness like they really do gold, gold star lesbians like it's just a lot of people hide behind they're like oh well i'm you know like i'm gay i can't be racist mm-hmm. or i'm like like, or like yeah. I'm just as oppressed as you, yeah, like saying just, shit like exactly. that. Exactly, and I'm like, well, no, you're not. <laughs> um, keep in mind that like my roommates. So I come from a low income background. My roommates did not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also, I guess, another one of my intersectionalities, right? I come from a low income background. I came from a school that was like underfunded, and you know, me and one of my roommates would talk about that experience particularly, and another roommate would come in and kind of, like, butt in and make the conversation about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it was like... My private school made my parents go into debt. <laughs> no, because it was always, like, it was always something I was like, we're not talking about that. We're talking about our experiences in schools that were underfunded. Mm-hmm. Underfunded, understaffed, and, like, all sorts of, like, it's, like, a different experience. Your private school experience, like, I was like, your private school experience doesn't matter to me because... We did not go to the same, like, first of all, we did not go to the same school. Second of all, it doesn't matter to me because you had the resources. Mm -hmm. Like. And if you went to those public schools, they'd probably be better funded because you're rich. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like, it's just, I don't know. Like I said, like, I think, like, intersectionality is a really good way to talk about identity. I just think a lot of people use it to defend their own bigotry. Yeah. And their own really messy behaviors. Um. You know, like, it's just, there's a lot to say about that. Like, I just, 
I don't know. I think there's like so many things that like anger me always about this like conversation. We were talking last night about Sam Smith and fat phobia. Hmm. That if Harry Styles did the exact same thing in his skinny uh, cis straight body that everyone's like, yes, this is this is the queer representation we want, despite a person being openly non-binary. And expressing themselves in a queer way like that's the queer icon not harry styles exactly and i was just like a lot of people hid behind that defense that they're queer so they can bag on yeah or like they just say like oh the outfit is ugly or yeah or or shit like like that outfit is ugly or like oh something it's just always an excuse and i'm just like we need to like really stop coming up with excuses like we need to like like the community needs to look inward because like, I've had, you know, I've had racist experiences on Tinder. I've had biphobic experiences on Tinder. I've had NB-phobic experiences, like, all over the place. And I'm just, like, I can understand why a lot of people are exhausted to be part of a community that just doesn't take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also why I said that I'm not in community with every queer I am in the I'm in the queer community, but I am not in community with every queer. Yep, 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 yep. That's so true. Yeah, I remember uh, one of the first um, queer events that I went to was um, like a Bruin Day kind of event with like a queer club, mm-hmm. and it was like the I felt the income disparity, like the wage gap between some of like the people that I was talking to, and they would be like oh, like, this guy is such an idiot. Like, he said, les garçons. It's les garçons. And, like, just talking about, like, designer clothing and, like, how people who don't wear designer clothing are, like, ew, it's giving poor. Like, like not know. it's not the appropriating AAVE to call someone poor. Yeah, and it's just, Shit. like, yeah, like, oh, my designer boots are so slay. And so, you know, it's just, like, it's, like, okay, like, you're queer and, like, we get that, you know. We get it. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you're queer, and we get that, like, you know, it's, like, okay to have, like, pride in how you look, and maybe, like, you know, like, oh, slay, and you maybe you're proud of, like, like, what you have, but, like, let's not mock people that maybe don't come from the same income realm as you for their pronunciation of things, mm-hmm. and, you know, that also just has a lot to impact, just mocking people's pronunciation of anything especially like designer brands like oh i've been mocked many times for my pronunciations of things it always makes me feel bad it's like it's almost like people who decide to mock you like if you're friends or you know you're close and you accidentally like i thought the word epitome was epitome for a really long time and like if my friend decides to make fun of me for that that's one thing but like making fun of a person of color who says a word in a different way uh, especially if, like, they're not familiar with it. It's just, like, what? just politely correct them and be like, oh, no, it's actually this. Did you know it was actually this? Uh, but no, that's impossible. Bullying is the way, actually. The way. <sighs> and then also to, like, like, also, like, get into what Judah was talking about, about, like, movies and, like, people of color in movies. Mm-hmm. It's, like, very macabre, but, like, me and, like, my bestie, who is um, a white girl (laughs) it's it's okay (laughs) she's she's lovely she's she tries her best which is like why i feel like um the reaction that she did when i pointed out like people of color die in movies like they're just expendable to the directors 
like and so we like started like paying attention to movies and even just watching like Jurassic Park. Oh wow. Literally yeah. every single person of color that entered the screen would be dead by the end of the movie. And there would be like entire villages of people of color that would die. But like the one little white boy would be like safe the entire movie, even like chased by dinosaurs. And like nothing would happen to them because white people are untouchable in cinema. And if they are, then their deaths are considered tragic and have heavy weight. But -hmm. people of color are just considered either aggressors or expendable in media. I was watching Nope with my mom uh, recently and she she asked me, she's like, how come? And my mom is not white, um, but she's not black. Uh, And I gave we we had a whole conversation about like black history and stuff after watching this movie because she's not from America and doesn't know a lot about it. Um, And she asked me, she's like, how come Jordan Peele picks uh, like black people to star in all of his movies? And I was having a hard time like explaining it because I am not Jordan Peele. So I looked it up and the way he put it was so perfect is like, I've seen that movie where the black person is expendable and the white person is the hero. I would like for once, if I have control of it, to make the black person the hero and it's not a weird thing and like that's his artistry is so beautiful because like people find it subversive that we're not killing black people as the main thing in the movie and like black people are 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 the triumph and the heroes and the protagonists Mm -hmm. and it's like it's 2023 and he his first movie came out in 2017 like it took that long for people to be like oh maybe it's a little weird that in every horror movie, the trope is the black person dies first. Even like in the movie Freaky, uh, which is like a universal movie. It's like a body swap com- a horror comedy. Uh, there's a gay character and a black character. And at one point they're being chased by the killer. And the gay guy goes, I'm I'm gay. You're black. We're going to die. And they like run away from the killer because it's like making fun of the fact that that's a trope. But, you know, yeah, once once you like see it for the first time and of course people of color are going to see it and notice it earlier than white people it's 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 just it feels like not that it was ever excusable but like at this point it's like can we fucking move on suicide squad the remake came out like two years ago yeah or three years ago like can we move on please can we pick something else it's not a surprise though because james gun is yeah, isn't that like a thing? Yeah, like a thing. Like he, he, he's kind of racist. Like James Gunn is a, uh, is um, no, well, problematic. Not, yeah, problematic babe, I guess of the broader yeah. mainstream. Um, oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. I was gonna add something and I completely forgot. Um, but oh, Jenna Ortega. Oh, yeah. I'm actually really excited that Jenna Ortega became like a final girl um, because it's like the first time that I've seen a Latina like be the final girl. Like it's just like, first of all, be included in the movies and also like be a final girl. I think she's so good in X. She's so good. Yeah. She's like, yeah. I mean, she's the poster. She's so good in that movie. She is really good. Um, She was in she was in the at the, the Wednesday, Wednesday. on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, she got super big for that. Um, but she was mostly known. I think she's in the Scream remake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch that th- tomorrow. I'm excited. Um, she's in the Scream remake. And then um, she was an ex. And she kind of got... She started at Disney, which is a surprise. <laughs> because you'd never think, like, a Disney actress would, like... Become a horror yeah, actress. <laughs> a horror actress. Um, 
but no, she did actually become, she did become an horror actress, and I think that's, like, good for her. Good for her, honestly. I don't like that she's working with Tim Burton, um, the one scene. <laughs> the classic like, racist guy who thinks black racist. people don't fit his aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. I was like, a lot of people did freak out about Wednesday being Latina. Like they really, freak, yeah. You you the meltdowns on Twitter. But they hated that Gomez was visibly uh like Mexican too. I'm pretty yes. sure. Yes, they hated. Is it Luis? I can't remember the name. Um, his name. I apologize. Yeah, they did hate that. They hated that a that he was Mexican and b that he was fat. Yep. That was, like, one of the big ones. They were like, oh, no, he's not the attractive. Even though he looks exactly like the original drawings yes, of Gomez. It's not, the same. Guzman, that's the actor. That's the actor. Thank you, Chloe. Um, Luis Guzman, yeah, they, they hated that he was fat. Like, they did not like that he was not the skinny Gomez that people remember from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think people, a lot of people were okay with Catherine Zeta, Zeta Jones. Um, but, like, a lot of people did not like that. Was gonna play Gomez Adams, um, but even horror has its own set of issues. And horror itself is like it's interesting too because, like the zombie genre in particular, uh, it's funny because on the elevator ride up to here, uh, multiple people who are in the rooms with us now are like, I can't do anything with zombies in it. But here's it's Christopher Zombie time. The original zombie movie by George Romero in the 1960s was uh, one of the first movies in the genre to, if not the first, I'll, I'll have to fact check me on that, um, to have a black male protagonist. And at, the movie's been out since the 60s, so I'm going to spoil the ending. <laughs> um, sorry I if you haven't like seen it. 80 years to watch it. Yeah, um, but he is killed by men who think he's the threat when it's the fucking zombies that are the threat like that's the end of the movie like and i don't think george romero intended to make like a racial commentary like the original the original point of the film was like class disparity but i think even that he chose to have a black man as the main actor expands his original intent to be a commentary on blackness not just in horror but just in generally society um and that well to be fair class commentary is racist. oh yes yes yeah, like even though people want to separate them yeah, and say class, class is the problem as like, if well, you know no, because it's only like it's class is only um is only interchangeable for white people yeah not so much for people of color like mm-hmm. class class and race kind of go hand in hand like you're always going to be a second class citizen no matter if you have like all this money mm-hmm. um but yeah, no, continue. But yeah, it's it's just interesting that like the history of the horror genre is embedded in commentary. And I, I was talking about it with uh, my roommate the other day that like horror is so beautiful to me because it reflects our fears of the time. So if you like, if you look at like post 9-11 horror, right, the uh, United States was grappling with like this huge, tra- the biggest tragedy in American history. So for the next five or six years, all of the films were torture porn. They were all the oh. worst things you could think of because that was us as a society grappling with seeing the worst thing that we could think of. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was expressed in the Saw series in Hostel, which people considered super gross um, for obvious reasons. But at the time, it was like, because that's what we were living. Um, and, you know, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre has like hundreds, uh, dozens, if not hundreds of um 
academic journals writing about how it's a critique of the American dream and capitalism and all this stuff. Um, but at the same time, despite those origins and that like metaphorical importance, the cliche is the person of color is going to die first. And then and other it is... cliches, right? You wrote an article about oh yeah, movies. Yeah, so you know, transphobia, uh, like Silence of the Lambs, the original Terrifier, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, Sleepaway Camp. Honestly, I really loved that movie up until it was revealed that the main character, aka the killer, was trans. Because Wasn't there another recent movie that that was like the same type of like it was they slash them or whatever. Oh my god! Yeah, they slash them. Everyone was ex- excited for that movie to be like. A, re- a queer revenge movie that like because it was set in a conversion therapy camp and everyone's like oh the queer people are gonna gang up on the killer and then the movie is just a a killer who's from a conversion camp killing gay people that's the plot of the movie so it's like thanks kevin bacon i really appreciate uh you being a star in this movie uh this was a really great effort sarcasm and there um, is a huge you know conversation not just about queerness and hormones but also disability Oh, yeah. Disability and mental illness. Yeah. I'm in a media representation class right now. Shout out to Rhonda, my professor. Um, And we're doing our final project on representations of disability, uh, mental illness, and um, uh, femininity on screen. So, like, femininity in terms of, like, women's representation, in terms of, like, gay people and trans people. Um, But with horror and disability specifically, the, the horror of disability is that you simply are disabled like there's there's uh, if you you know look at me it's have as i said happy marvin awareness month everybody uh but if you look at you know all of these movies like that star doug jones or javier botet who were like the long lanky character actors the who play like the leper from it um the serial killer in gerald's game uh tristana madero's from wreck uh, the the crooked man from Conjuring Two, like there's all of these examples. It's like those characters are inherently scary to us because they look like a disabled body. Um, and as like a disabled trans person, like now I'm double alienated, right? So like right. my favorite genre not only sees me as a villain, although horror typically targets uh people who are affected by trans misogyny, not as much trans men, but but still, um, like sees me as someone wearing this the skin of another gender but it's also the literal encapsulation of what it means to be not human right um and yeah it's like people i think a lot with like media too is people think if it's not intentional it doesn't have an impact so like who knows if james gunn intentionally wanted all of the extras to be people of color right we don't know he's never gonna admit that right but like the impact is we see a bunch of people of brown people killed mercilessly, mercilessly without any story, without any impact on screen. That's going to affect the population, just as I see my body portrayed as the the only thing that people with Marfan syndrome specifically are portrayed as in film, because there are no films about us or about our disability specifically, unless you count like the three Grey's Anatomy episodes <laughs> um, is. Yeah. Um, is those films so like right. now you know i should have worn my slender man is a marfanoid shirt i like made a joke shirt about it because it's like oh well great the only thing that i can aspire to be is a horror villain and you know there's this piece uh eli claire is their name they're a gender queer disabled um 
person who who writes a lot about that that conversation uh, that particular intersection i i did a piece called to be ugly in our fall 2021 print that had a couple quotes from them but um the the whole point of that particular piece um i think it was ga called gawking gaping staring is that when those depictions exist and when disabled trans visibly disabled and visibly trans people and visibly queer people because they're also butch um traverse the streets the only thing that people can think to do is to stare um and like me in my entire life i always joke i'm visually impaired so i can't tell if people are staring at me but my mom can so throughout my life like my mom being beside me as a kid uh i would you know come up to my <laughs> there was this one instance i came up to the window after um uh dropping off stuff at the post office she'd like driven me to the post office and she's like looking out the window at me like with this horrible stare and i'm like what did i do what's wrong and she goes it's that bitch behind you and it's this old woman who had apparently i had walked into the post office done my mail and walked out she stopped on the street watched me walk in waited for me to leave and then followed me back up the hill to my car because she was like disgusted or fascinated or some combination with my body and then when she was called out she was like obviously scurried away i'm so sorry yeah it's like calling out old people though fun as hell i gotta say I, I, if they're you know don't you know staring is rude 85 year old like jesus it's yeah but yeah it's like it's funny because now like i've been out as trans for five years i like pass most of the time right. and uh it's it's always a uh, wondering am i being stared at because i'm like I'm, you know, my chest isn't flat or they think my voice sounds like not what a man's voice should be like visible transness or is it just because I'm disabled? Because it's usually right. just because I'm disabled. But now there's that extra um, like layer that I have to deal with. And and I made some artwork for uh, Look Deeper uh, Zine, which is an amazing publication like by and for queer, uh, by and for disabled creatives. And a lot of them are also queer and trans. I did like a graphic for uh, someone who did an article about trans and disabled joy um and i did a photo series uh basically depicting like my relationship with myself and my body and society um and it was one of the pieces in particular which was my favorite is um called youngest old timer and it's like a picture it's like i can put it up on the screen for the youtube video but it's like a sev my severed torso um, I have it on my phone screen, but I'm recording right now, so I can't show it. It's like my severed torso and it's like me, you know, covering myself, which I often have to do at doctor's offices because I don't have top surgery. Um, and like peeling off, uh, like EKG stickers from myself. And it's like this simple thing where like a visibly trans, uh, disabled body is, you know, constantly interacting with the medical system. Like that, that's what the, the story is about. And I got this wonderful message from a fellow uh marfanoid trans man who said i have never seen my body represented in a way that is not ugly and it's amazing seeing my body on somebody else who loves it um and who has appreciation for it and like you know that's what all of this is for right like that's why we're an outright that's why i make art and all this stuff is like because without community and without recognition that our identities are beautiful and worth fighting for that we have nothing right that's so that's 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 what intersectionality should lead to like it, it shouldn't lead to queer people feeling protected 
by their whiteness. It should yeah. be us using those privileges to make other people feel as comfortable as possible. Exactly. That's and like, awesome. I, it's going to sound controversial. I'm not grateful to UCLA because I. <laughs> yeah, do, fuck Eugene yeah. Block genuinely. Like, like sorry. I'm not grateful to UCLA. I think it's very inaccessible to all sorts of people. Um, Not like the disabled. There's been conversation around campus being inaccessible mm -hmm. for. Like literally inaccessible. For wheelchair, wheelchair users, for people that have like physical disabilities that that require a little bit more flatter ground. Um, it's inaccessible to people who have like auditory processing issues. And it's just, and you have to go through the, it's just a whole thing. So it's not just inaccessible to disabled people, but it's also inaccessible to people of color. They've been locked out of this university for the longest time. Uh, queer people, because the learning disparities from, you know, especially like the, the the eighties, nineties, and two thousands, where kids were being kicked out in mass for being queer, mm -hmm. um, and didn't have the same learning experiences as somebody who was cis het or straight. Cis het straight straight is a synonym. <laughs> for, for Extra straight. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just the university is very inaccessible. I'm grateful for the orgs that have given me opportunities. I'm grateful to outright. I'm grateful to my department. You know, I'm grateful for my professors here. I'm not grateful to UCLA. I think yep. they throw us crumbs. Speaking of intersectionality, they throw us crumbs. And then they expect us to be grateful for to that. To grovel for it. Yeah. Like, they still haven't implemented a lot of things that they said that they were going to implement post. Po in quote, I'm doing quotations. Post COVID, <laughs> um, especially Dean Block, where he was like, oh, I'm going to advocate for hybrid learning. Oh my god. Oh, happy one year anniversary of the oh, longest right. sit-in in UCLA in. history. Yeah. Yep. Where uh, myself, uh, the as a representative of the DSU in collaboration with the African Student Union and the Mother Mother Organizations, which is um a group of ten organizations that represent uh racial um uh, and cultural minorities on campus. Uh we slept in front of Gene Block's office for 16 days. Uh that's after 10 to 20 years of all of those uh, clubs representing students of color advocating for the bare minimum. Um, and then the Disabled Student Union, who's a newer organization, we were conceptualized in the 2020, uh, in 2020. Yeah, I, wrote, and I like, think I wrote two articles about Yeah, it. Judah was there. Uh, I slept on the floor for those 16 days. Um, I unfortunately had to leave early because I had to help my mom. <laughs> that's that's reasonable. COVID Ironic, I wonder. needed help. But um, like at you know those those that situation really put my life as uh like and my privilege as a white person in perspective. I was the only white person on like kind of the leadership mm -hmm. committee of of that. I think it was like about ten or twelve of us. Mm -hmm. Um and like there were serious conversations of like okay it is five p.m. on Friday legally the place is closed and we can be arrested, and it was uh. Can you put your body on the line if the police are going to come? And, um, it, was, and it was scary because there were times where people generally thought that they were. Yep, there was a, there was definitely the police cars mm -hmm. going around. They had security there. Um, they had the sh the sheriff's office, which means UCPD called the sheriff's office for the county of Los Angeles to come and sweep. And 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 ask what we were all doing there, and and they they like implied that we were preventing Gene Block to coming in his office. All this bullshit. 
I and, think there was also yeah. like also too. I mentioned this to you when the the, the grad strikes were happening. They closed Murphy Hall. Yeah, because they were fucking scared we were gonna scared, do it again. Yeah, they were scared that there was gonna be another incident, so they closed Murphy Hall. They had that shut down. They had police there, security there. Um, and the day of the sit-in, I'll uh, actually. They caught wind that we were going to go into Murphy Hall. We we weren't planning to sit in at that point. We just said that we were going to go up to those offices. And um, the C- Center for Accessible Education is also in that building. And one of the people in the DSU who just had an appointment with their uh, specialist, uh, the doors were locked. So they tried to lock us out. And he was like, after my appointment, I'll make sure to keep the door propped open. So they were willing to bar essential resources for disabled students the transfer office is in there. There's oh, a bunch of aid. service. Yeah, there's aid. a bunch of services in there and they were willing to shut it off because they were afraid of a bunch of marginalized people kicking their shit. And we did. Um, and, you know, there have been a lot of strides for those organizations. Um, DSU, I mean, we've only been fighting for a couple of years, so like it makes sense that we didn't make the same strides as those other organizations who have been putting their blood, sweat and tears in this for 20 years. But oh, like... Huh? Uh, I said a win is a win. Oh, yeah. What is a, a win? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like uh, uh, being like that is intersectionality, too. It's like in that space, I cannot prioritize myself because I am not the most important. Like people talk about the impression Olympics a lot. And I hate that word because it implies like competition for the sake of like personal gain. But like when I tell you sit the fuck down, like we are not the voices in this situation that for example like me as a white trans man i cannot speak to the experiences and the oppression that black trans women face that's not me saying oh i must grovel to her because she is more oppressed than me it's me acknowledging i have a lot of fucking privilege as a white guy as a passing white trans man one of my biggest critiques for writers is that when they're writing pieces that are more politically charged they need to be more accurate yeah they need to be more accurate about the terms that they're using and why they're using it um we did a review on abortion weekend and i had to be like hey you know they're not talking about they're talking about the experience black women face like that is specifically their their goal mm-hmm. talk about the experience of black women face as women who have higher mortality rates as women who are con- who are not just you know bombarded by you know, normal patriarchy right you have racism um medical racism medical particularly racism. and like this is like them talking about their experience as trans women not trans women sorry as black women um and so like one of my biggest like critiques for writers is to hey be more specific. It is not women of color. It is black women. Yeah, it's not women of color. It is not the... They're talking specifically about black women. They say that in their, in, in their you know, little spiel. They have, like, the play card, mm-hmm. the playbill. Playbill. And it says that in their spiel they're talking specifically about black women. Because um, I think the critique levied at the... The play was kind of more that it did not include a lot of inclusive language. Mm-hmm. I think um, we we uh, included that in our article about it. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, yeah, but also they weren't really talking. They were talking about specifically the experience of black women mm-hmm. in their play. So it's just like intersection. Like we definitely need to be more specific about what we talk about um, mm-hmm. because, like, yeah, the oppression Olympics, like the oppression Olympics argument, never made any sense to me. 
Um, because like that's not how identity works. Well, here's the thing. You know how you know who uses oppression Olympics? White people. True. Because like you mentioned, True. white people can exchange their like for class in the same in a different way than people of color can. Um, and the only way that we can conceptualize uh, oppression is through competition with others because we want to be the dominant. There's we a, want to be the winner. There's a book about that. Actually. Mm-hmm. There's actually a, so there's a famous paper called The Possessive Investment of Whiteness. Excuse me. And then there's a book called uh, The Sum of Us. And it talks about how... It talks about pretty much how... Uh, so the biggest example of, like, racism is, like, the public pool debate. Mm-hmm. So in the 1950s, there was obviously communities of both black people and white people and they wanted to integrate the pools that's how you get that's how you got um actually the interest that's how you got like private pools in the backyards they weren't a thing until post integration mm-hmm. yeah so people would rather spend money build their own private pools in their backyards than share a pool share a pool with black people yeah um and same thing with education same thing with um because like a lot of the like a lot of the arguments against against making education more accessible is oh where are you getting the funds from? UCLA is sitting on billions of in, like, endowments. Billions of dollars. They can do it. Half of their budget, at least, is administrative salaries. We spend more on policing than we do on disability services. It's shut shut the fuck up. What do you What do you do? What do you mean? A, do you know how many taxes people argument. in Los Angeles pay? Hey, like I had a whole argument with somebody on Reddit about. Oh, like, not Reddit. Oh no. So I was the like, white man's territory. I had to delete Reddit. It hurts you. It's so like right leaning. It is. is. Oh, I deleted it when we did the sit, and I was like, "Mm -mm, no, sorry. It was. It was like so bad. It's like a cesspool of like racism and like misogyny, and it's like I don't know. It's I. I got an argument with somebody about like defunding the police. They're like, oh no, they defunded the police, and that's why there's a rise in crime. I was like. Actually, that's a lie. You know what they didn't? They didn't defund the police. They gave them more money. <laughs> you can look at all of these. You can like, read a single article. <laughs> look at all these articles that say that they raised these police budgets by billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm like, tell me how that, like, tell me how that's defunding the police. Yeah. Explain to me. Explain to the class. <laughs> Please, explain to the class. Like, I did, And then you get downvoted. <laughs> I did get downvoted. Yeah. No. And I was like, this is like, this is little facts that you can look up. Like, there's no, there's no such thing as like defunding the police because most city councils refuse to do that. Mm-hmm. LAPD just got like a three billion dollar or three million, sorry, not billion, three million dollar increase, budget increase. Um, so yeah. yeah, unfortunately, we're at our time. Oh, uh, and there damn. are some folks outside. If we want to do it uh, next week, we're going to be uh, running our taped interview with Hugh, who's yeah. a black trans artist. Speaking of intersectionality. Uh, he was amazing. He came to the oh, Outright yeah, office yesterday. Super yes, lovely. Everybody stream Q's music. He's releasing uh, an EP on Valentine's Day. We'll talk all about it next week. Uh, but after that, if we want to do a continuation of this at any point, I think there's so much to talk about. Um, 
And this has been a wonderful conversation and I appreciate, thank you, Lily, for joining us. And if you'd like to join us next time, feel free. Um, but to quickly give our little blurb at the end, uh, you can follow Outright on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Outright News Mag. You can also read our articles we post twice a week on OutrightNewsMag.org. That's right spelled W-R-I-T-E. I have been Christopher. And I've been Huda. And I've been Lily. And thank you for watching, listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.